Fa la 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 la. Holiday greetings. Discover a life-giving local church where you'll find the community and support you've been looking for. At Echo, we hope you'll find your place, your people, and your purpose. Experiencing a true sense of belonging while building friendships and finding support. We believe this is what we're all seeking and we can't wait to share it with you. That's right. And join us for our services at Mayo High School on Sundays at 9.15 a.m. or 10.45 a.m. We're eager to meet you and extend a warm welcome to the Echo Church family. Are you grateful for God and his transformative work through Echo Church? If so, let's turn our gratitude into giving, creating a powerful force for good. Your contributions fuel the flames of God's incredible work among us. We invite you to consider making a financial donation before the year's end. As it says in 2 Corinthians 9-7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God's love, or God loves a cheerful giver. He does. He does. For those who wish to partner with us financially to impact Rochester, you have two convenient giving options today. That's right. First, visit our website where you can set up an automatic recurring donation, allowing us to plan boldly and confidently for the future. Second, you can easily Venmo your contribution to We Are The Echo Church. That's right. And we appreciate your kind and thoughtful investments. Enjoy Echo Online. Adios. Napoleon Bonaparte is a credit in saying this one quote. He's got others, but this is one. The only way to lead people is to show them a future. A leader is a dealer in hope. Uh, let's just think about Napoleon a little bit. Uh, you probably don't know this. Maybe you do. History buffs out there. But in 1805, Napoleon achieved his greatest military accomplishment by leading an army of about 73,000 men as he was facing a larger coalition of 85,000 soldiers made of the, the Russian and Australian uh, empires. And his strategic brilliance decisively outmaneuvered and defeated this stronger co coalition, solidifying his reputation as a military genius. And that's what we read about in history. However, just in seven years after that remarkable victory, Napoleon, over his overconfident decision to invade Russia during the winter in 1812 with, with a massive but ill-prepared army led to a catastrophic defeat. This misjudgment fueled by arrogance resulted in a rapid decline of his empire and then eventually his exile. Napoleon's story exemplifies how even the greatest of victories can be overshadowed, at, overshadowed by the consequences of pride, which poses the following question. Is the only way to lead people to show them a future? Or is it a better way to lead people to show them Jesus? That was your opportunity to say amen. Yes, I agree. So good. Tell me more. Jesus is the epitome of what it means to be a good leader. And we see that in the line that we're focusing on today. That Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again with all of us in mind. Jesus is the best leader. And if we're going to live the life that he calls us to live, 
then what we've got to do is look towards him and, and I personally think look into the subtle nuances of what it means that Jesus lived, what it means that he died, and what it meant for him to resurrect. And in order to do that, we need to open our Bibles up to, to Genesis chapter 3. Open up your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It's a short verse, but one packed full of meaning. And it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin. He made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. I mean, here is the beginning. On a previous episode with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are sitting there by the the tree, the forbidden fruit, and, and, and Eve takes of the fruit and, 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 and consumes it as well as handing it off to her husband. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. Everything changes, and, and they're in the garden. And in the garden, now that there is sin, they are shameful. They're fearful, and they're needing forgiveness. And as all good humans do, is you try to come up with a remedy, and their remedy was to, close, uh, to clothe themselves with wilted fig leaves, and so they're scantily clad amongst the woods. And Jesus comes into, or God comes into the garden, and he asks a question. But let me tell you this. This is where the Jewish, Jewish sacrificial system began. And that's what I want, to, I want you to see that. When we talk about the Lord God, he made garments of skin, what you have to realize is this is the very first moment where death entered the garden by God's hand. Because of man's sinful behavior, because of their wrongdoing, because of them screwing up, because they made a wrong decision, God to cover their sin, to cover their shame and their nakedness. Killed an animal. Took the skin and made what we know today as clothing, which, by the way, I'm extremely thankful for on a day like today. (laughs) This is the beginning of the Jewish sacrificial system. And let me just read you this one thing. With this in mind, in Israel, blood never ceased to flow from that day. Day by day, animals were butchered amidst their screams of death. The evidence of their demise could be seen in the blood-stained clothing and hands of the priests. Generation after generation, generations after generations paid for our biggest mistake, not taking God at his word. Now, Some of you are like, them. (laughs) Let me remind you that you're not Adam and Eve, but you're not far from them. You weren't in the garden, but you're in your own garden, and you choose to do the same things that they did. And I am so thankful that God's word has the ability to overcome our sin. 
that his handiwork has that ability. And, 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 and really, furthermore, I mean, again, this is from the beginning of time, and it really hasn't changed. We're not slaughtering animals to, to cover our sins because we're all thankful that Jesus came. Thank God that he came. That Jesus, that God sent Jesus as his only begotten son, that whoever would believe would be saved, would be forgiven, would be redeemed. I'm so thankful for Jesus. But let me just lean to what Jesus did, okay? Since Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his blood has been poured out for us. Jesus screams on the cross, Father, forgive them. And he screams, it is finished. And it still echoes. Those, those screams still echo in the world today. Yet generation after generation, we continue to make a subtle mistake by not taking God at his work. Do y'all hear what I'm trying to spray? God's word and his work desires to do something within us. Life, death, and resurrection are not just words, but they're also works of God, and that's what's called what we know as justification. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, big word alert. <laughs> big word alert. Justification. Justification, what does that mean? I kind of want to give you a little bit a uh, short uh, crash course really on this big word called justification. Justification is this. It's the act of being put in right standing with God solely through the work of Christ, who by his grace accomplished this, accomplished this through his obedience and payment for our sins. A friend of mine caught me between services and he said, one of the best definitions of justifications I've heard is this, is just as if you've never sinned. That's what Christ does. Paul David Tripp, a pastor, theologian, author, he writes this about justification. What needed to be done, no human being could do. Do you all hear that? What needed to be done, no human could do. We couldn't do it. We couldn't work hard enough. We, we couldn't change our life enough to do what Jesus did. But what needed to be done... God would have to do in a triad of glorious miracles of grace, the incarnation of son, of his son, his perfect life, and the acceptable sacrifice and his resurrection victory. It is only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that the tension is ended. In Jesus, God's perfect justice and forgiveness our, our forgiving mercy kiss. Let me read that again. In Jesus, in Jesus, God's perfect justice and forgiving, or forgiving mercy kiss. Forgiving mercy kiss. His justice is forgiving mercy kiss. So look at your neighbor and, uh, neighbor and give them a kiss, please, this morning. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. Only if you can. Don't get in trouble here. <laughs> but justification it's the work that God wants to do within us and through us. 
And, 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 and uh, just to break this down, there's three elements of justification, what had to happen, what Jesus had to do to, to, to bring us to a place of justification, okay, in the work of justification here. Uh, the first concept is, is this, this word live, right, this first word lived. The life of Jesus displays through his life, okay, the life of Jesus displays his empathy, his effort, and his compassion. Aren't you glad that Jesus gets us? He gets us. That's what his life has displayed. I believe the scripture in Hebrews 4.15 says it the best. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He empathizes with us. He gets us. And I'm telling you, at that aspect of justification, I am so thankful that we do not serve a God that doesn't understand what we're going through or what we will go through. But we serve a God that has gone through far worse than we ourselves most likely will ever go through. The second element of justification is Jesus' death, that he died. And the death of Jesus displays his obedience, his sacrifice and his obedience. His death displays his obedience and his willingness to sacrifice and the payment for our sins. And, and it just evokes the memory of Jesus being in the garden. And he was like, Father, if, if this can be done any other way, like, please make the way. Like, take, take this cup. It, if it is of your will, and there was no other way. And so Jesus, in his obedience, brought himself to death with you in mind. With you in mind, uh, Philippians 2.8 says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even a death on the cross. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Jesus was obedient to the place of death. And I am so thankful that, that he didn't just stop in the living, but that he himself modeled dying so that we might receive and understand what justification is and followed through the death and now the resurrection, that Jesus rose again. The, re the resurrection of Jesus displays Jesus' power. His power is revealed. His possi the possibility of what life could mean now and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of justification. That Jesus lived, Jesus died, and through the power of resurrection, he was raised back to life. It shows me the possibilities of what my life could be. It helps me turn my face forward into the future versus just looking backwards and seeing the carnage, but knowing that there is hope for me because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It also reminds me that when Jesus said he was leaving, that he would send a helper and that the presence of the Holy Spirit would empower me as a believer to not just think that these are all great ideas, but me, myself, would be able to live those ideas out. 
1 Corinthians 5, or 15, 20, and 22 says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And everybody say amen. amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all we may be made alive. That's the power of his life, death, and resurrection. It's not just about knowing, but it's also, it's, it's, it's also beginning to learn what it means for us to live within, that we have been justified, not in the future, but we've been justified today. And let me just talk about these big ideas, okay? The big ideas, like, like it's great to, to you know, just think about them and, and ponder on these ideas, but the true value of a theological rich concept lies not just in understanding them, but actively undertaking them. Which this come, this, with this idea comes my big idea. And my big idea for today is with big thoughts. Big thoughts find their value when translated into big living. My big idea is this. Big thoughts have value when we're able to translate them into big living. And here's the big idea. It's through the justification work of Jesus. Greater is he that lives within me than he that lives in the world. It's a message of hope. Yes, it is it is a strange story to read. It's one of, of hurt and pain and, and struggle, the life, the death, and the resurrection. But it ultimately, ultimately paints this picture of hope for our future and hope for now. It's really an invitation into big living. That's what justification is all about. In fact, I believe the gift, gift of justification may be the believer's most beautiful gift ever that's been given to us. In fact, I think justification is the best kept secret in the believer's closet. Justification is the anchor in the believer's storm-tossed sea. Justification is the compass that points true north, and justification is like a Shavak, as I have here today. <laughs> and some of you are like, tell me more. <laughs> Justification is just like a shop vac. And, and what's different between a shop vac and a vacuum is... Is very subtle. But let me tell you this. Is, uh, not only is justification about, about sucking up the crud and the, the garbage in our life and, and, and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and making us clean, it has so much more to offer. The subtle little difference between a shop vac and a vacuum is this is the shop vac has the ability to reverse the flow. And not only does it bring forgiveness and redemption, 
But what justification is always meant to do in our life is to empower us and to fill us up beyond. I told someone to clean this before. Isaiah. <laughs> oh, I'll take a shower later today. The justification work of the Lord. The unique feature of the shop vac is its ability to reverse the airflow. And the reverse airflow signifies the flip side of justification. Justification is not merely about tidying your past. It's about being abundantly equipped and filled in your present life. Jesus lived, died, and rose again to reverse the flow of your life. We believe that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And if we believe that, if we believe it, then we're called to confess it. And if we express it, we're empowered to embody it. That's the power of justification. It's not just a thought. It is a way of life. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life that we don't have to do this all alone. We get to do this with Jesus and his resurrection power within us. Paul David Tripp says this about justification as well. Our justification is not just about our legal standing before God, but it's also about the brand new identity as his children. Our identity best summarizes in two words, in Christ. That's what justification is all about. It reverses the flow. It flips the script. And it gives us a new identity to move forward and to be led in and to live in now and in the future. Justification is a brand new culture to live right here and right now. But here lies the problem. It's a five-letter word. Justification and the resurrection power of Christ many times is laid to the side because of a five-letter word. And that word is pride. If we don't see anything within this concept of justification, you need to see this. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was rose again. And you didn't have to do anything. And so often in life, as we become comfortable, as we become successful, as we figure things out, what creeps in is this, is that we know better. And because of past wins, we're just more capable. We're more able. And instead of putting Jesus at the center of everything and his justification that he's given us, we allow pride to creep in and start, uh, start to really dismantle us from the inside out. 
See, garden insecurity, our life and our own insecurity pushes us to pride, but the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus invites us into humility amidst humanity. God is calling us to be humble as Jesus was humble, that we need to see that within those three things, what we see is this, is the humble servant who through obedience and through understanding how we lived and the power of God, that he brings a better life to us today. See, justification isn't just three words, life, death, and resurrection it's not, and it's not just the work Jesus did, but it is a new worldview. So we must ask this question. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Which brings me back to the garden. Adam and Eve, scantily clad in withered fig leaves, is hiding in the forest, and God enters into their context. And he asks a question. And that question is this, where are you? Where are you? And today I would, just humbly, I would like to ask you this. In the spectrum of pride and humility, where are you? I believe right now at this very moment, God, God is asking you, where are you? And we look at the Genesis narrative, we know one thing, Jesus knew where Adam and Eve, Jesus, or God knew where Adam and Eve were in the garden, although he, he said, where are you? It's not so much a question, it's more of a declaration. And the declaration is this, is that he cares And he's looking, and he's calling out your name. And he's seeking you. He's knocking on your door. What he wants you here today is this, is that he loves you. That he loves you. For others, he, he wants some of you to, to hear he gets you. He understands. Significantly in the garden, God doesn't come into the garden and say, come here. He says, where are you? God wants to meet you right where you're at today. The way I view that portion of scripture, God's not coming into that context and he's not coming into your context angry, but he's sitting there with tears in his eyes and he's simply asking you the question, will you come to me today? It doesn't matter how much shame you have. It doesn't matter how much fear you have. It doesn't, how much, it doesn't matter how much sin that you've gone through. God accepts you and is calling you today to, to, to fully appreciate and to accept his life, his death, and his resurrection, that his justification isn't just words, but it's a work that can be done in and through you today. 
There is no regret that is so daunting that justification can't overpower. There is not enough amount of shame that can hold you back from the power of Jesus today. There's no amount of sin and mistake that cannot be cleaned up by the metaphorical shop vac. And yet God wants to flip the flow on you today. That you don't have to try to earn it. You just receive it today. And with that receiving, he wants to fill you up so full that greater is he that is in you than anything outside of you. And so in Jesus' name, shame be gone. In Jesus' name, would regret be gone, Lord? In Jesus' name, would some of those traumatic experiences be covered by the overpowering love of Jesus in this space today? Forgiveness we receive through your power. We lean into you today, Jesus. We lean into you today and we declare this one idea. Jesus, you're the best leader. And you're the one who brings us hope. And we see it clearly through your justification that you have given to us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the good news. For it is, in your, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Echo Church, when we stand up every week, we pray a prayer. And I hope that this week it has a different meaning, has a different thought that resonates in your heart in a different area of your life. And at the same time, I want to invite someone in the room that you walked into church. I mean, you came in here with fear. You came in here with shame. You came in here with regret. And today is the day that you accept Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection of being the atoning sacrifice to make you right in the sight of God, that we become the children of God. Let us pray. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, died, you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name, in his authority. Amen.
Stop working. 
You never stop, never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Encouragement 
speaking truth, speaking life, God. And I just pray that we can light their steps for them, God, that we can show them you. God, I pray for this to be a Christmas season unmatched to any in the past, God, that you are calling us to more. God, let us get uncomfortable again, even going back to the moment where we said yes to you, God, that we don't take another day for granted, just the gift of life, God. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the reminder that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind, Jesus. Thank you for this gift. In your name, amen. Amen. I love that song. It's so good. At this time, I just want to encourage you, even just where you're at, just the question that Andy was saying today is, where are you? Is just even thinking about where are you right now? And where? And then second question is, where is God calling you to? And third is, who is he calling you to? In this season, I just encourage you to take a next step. If you are a visitor today, we just sincerely want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us here at Echo Church. We mean it.